You are now entering the spoiler zone. The following podcast contains explicit plot details and pockets of profanity. You have been warned. The Exton Moss Experiment. Adventures in wine and space with Simon Exton and Ken Moss. Hello everyone and a very warm welcome to the Exton Moss Experiment. I'm Ken Moss. I'm Simon Exton. And here we are, yet again. It's Revenge of Brexit. Da, da, da. Now, we thought that the last Brexit episode we did, that would be it. The nightmare would be over. Of course we didn't. Nobody believed that. The tedium is ongoing and ongoing and ongoing. And we're both on different sides of the fence and we just want the bloody thing over. We want different outcomes, but for God's sake, it's been dragging on for about 30 years now, hasn't it? To quote what several politicians are saying, nobody voted for this. We didn't know what we were voting for. Well, we certainly weren't voting for this. So here we are with Revenge of Brexit, our second Brexit special. Nigel Farage has said that Brexit that's on the table at the moment under Boris Johnson isn't the Brexit that was originally voted for. And things nobody had any clue what the details of the Brexit that was originally voted for, other than the three hundred and fifty million he promised for the NHS, which was a big fat lie he admitted to the next day. It's re- a giant, towering, ongoing shit show that just needs to finish. And the sooner we get rid of every bastard in Parliament at the minute. Um, I um, agree. I would absolutely love if somebody would just come down from on high and say, you lot, all of you, have completely failed to manage the country. None of you can be selected. Deselect the entire lot of them. Get a completely new batch in. It won't happen. The big players will still get back in. I read today that Boris Johnson is planning to change his constituency to go to one with a, a bigger majority. I haven't read anything today. I've been desperately avoiding the news. Um, I think he's destined towards Rutland, which is... Rutland Weekend Television. Rutland, whose county town is Exton. You must be very proud. What, of Rutland Weekend Television? Or the fact that Boris Johnson might be infecting the place? Boris Johnson's infecting your namesake Boris town. Johnson is infecting nothing of mine. But looping back to the Exton Moss experiment... Should I whip out the tonic? Well, we have somebody we need to say hello to first. Oh, hello! Uh, yes, he's sat here. And he sat with his bag of crisps. Hello, Spaff. And yep. what do you think of all these human politicians? He's far more interested in his crisps. Well, you just sit there and you can watch. Uh, if you've got any interjections, feel free to say anything that you'd like. Commence work! <laughs> Simon, what are we drinking? We're drinking Vilnius gin. And there is info bollocks on this gin, but it's all in Lithuanian. I can't read it, so... Um, Bloody hell! It's good, isn't it? Wow, that's like a cricket mat to the tongue. Mm. I picked this up when I was in Vilnius earlier on in the year. It's I, Fucking I got hell. through quite a lot of this while I was out there. I think it's lovely. It doesn't pull any punches. It's very Eastern European. Holy shit. Uh, it could probably do with watering down a little. 
Oh dear God, it can be a wuss at times. I think this is lovely. It's a gin that doesn't pretend to be anything other than a gin. It doesn't. Do matter. any of your taste buds actually work? Yes. Hell's teeth. That's that's strong. Yes. <laughs> you need to be able to taste the gin. Jesus Christ! I feel like I'm being sandpapered from the inside. A little more detail than I need, but thank you so much for sharing. It's not for me. I'm going to have to water this down, otherwise it's just going to be paint stripper. Just bear with me a second. Apparently the bulldog breed has turned into a cockapoodle. Right, with a, a dash more tonic. You drowned it. No, I can actually taste that now. That's not bad, actually. It's still a little... It's, yeah, I like this. I, th- I think this is a, a nice supercharged gin. Um, You're not kidding. As a, a real kick to the hindbrain with all the, the juniper. It may have botanics in. I can't taste any. It's a little bit on the Soviet side for me. I'm going to give it a three. <laughs> it's a three for me as well. Um, it's not It's not really special enough to go up to four territory, but it's very easily drinkable. You wouldn't complain if it was put in front of you. Well, you did. But... Well, only because it was concentrated, like drinking fucking nitric acid. Jesus, the indigestion. I don't get indigestion from anything. Anyway... When you finish wussing. Grab your glass, let's uh, descend into the bowels of Podcasting House and open the door of the Black Archive. Spaff's going to stay here with the crisps. He's only got little legs and there are a lot of steps. Here we are underneath Podcasting House and we have got shelves and shelves drifting off as far as I can see with all the lost television and film in the world. Almost as much as Philip Morris has. Indeed. (laughs) One day when the showrunner meets his criteria, he'll give them all back. I would like to rescue tonight a radio series from the very early 80s called It Sticks Out Half a Mile. And it was a sequel to Dad's Army. It starred quite a few of the original cast. The pilot episode starred Arthur Lowe as Captain Mannering, but he was quite ill. Now, we'll just park that there. Was he ill or was he just wasted? I thought he was actually ill because didn't he die fairly... Oh, almost immediately afterwards, yeah. Yeah. And from listening to the interviews about... Dad's Army, okay, he, he didn't always have his script letter perfect when he got there, but he was an absolute consummate professional. Mm. And It Sticks Out Half a Mile exists as domestic recordings, yes, but does. not as uh, broadcast, broadcast quality. quality. Having listened to it, and I see exactly what you mean about the pilot, from everything I've heard about him as a professional, I can't imagine he would turn up pissed. I'm really on the fence with this because it's monstrous to 100% peg somebody that you've never met, you don't know, you never knew, you don't know anything about really and just from what other people have said. He sounds slaughtered on that recording. The fact that both him and his wife were rampant alcoholics doesn't really help. The, the I mean, I'm sure he yeah. was ill. If, if he died shortly afterwards, something was clearly amiss. And that pilot episode, he sounds nothing like any Dad's Army episode I've ever seen. But it sticks out half a mile, basically, was the premise was originally Captain Mannering, Pike and Wilson decide to buy a dilapidated pier and do it up for some reason, which the memory cheats now as to why. But it was actually quite entertaining. There were 13 episodes and Bill Pertwee was in it as well. But it's just a terrible shame that it's not in broadcast quality because the episodes that survived, I believe better ones have turned up now. 
the ones I heard were... They were shocking. I think I've got the same ago. quality ones that you've got. So just for that reason alone, they do exist, but they're not broadcast quality. So it's worth having back. What's your choice for tonight? My choice is something that I remember absolutely loving as a kid, and that Jeux Sans Frontiers, or in this country, it's a it's knockout. It's a knockout. For those of you who didn't grow up with It's a Knockout, I'm so, so sorry, because it was massively, <laughs> massive fun. <laughs> And it was, was it a Thursday evening or something? I can't or? remember when it was. All I remember is Stuart Hall. Stuart Hall laughing like a dragon. over the top. I mean, Ed, he was having and, a far better time than contestants. And, it, and Eddie Waring did it Eddie as well. Eddie Waring, that was it, yes. And it was towns around the country who were selected to send in teams to just do ridiculous oh, games. Mighty. Often in... Muddy pits, basically. Uh, uh, dreadful fancy dress costumes that limited their visibility. It was basically a 70s version of Wipeout in fancy dress without the water and the fancy South American setting. It was really, really, really fun. And they did It's a Royal Knockout. They did do It's a Royal Knockout. I've never seen it. Princess Anna's got to have been in it, but I don't know who else would have been in it. I can't imagine Q taking part. I thought it was the four siblings. Really? Yeah. I must look that up because there was a period during the 80s where the royals suddenly started appearing on telly. Well, wasn't it when Edward was trying to be a thespian? He had his own production company. I don't know that he moved into acting, did he? Did he? I, th- I thought he wanted to. Was it, was it Argent Productions, his film company? And uh, I'm not well, sure. It wasn't the, the Dead Good Theatre Company or the, the Really Good Theatre Company? Or? I don't know. I'd be lying if I said I knew. But yes, it's a knockout. So getting back to it. Because you're much more of a royalist than I am. I am a royalist, yes, because I think that the benefits they bring to the country are there. This is nothing to do with it. It's a knockout. And the cost to the general public is negligible for what the country itself gets back. Whereas I think they're parasites. I wouldn't have their job, let's put it that way. For all the lovely trappings and dinners that you see on television and royal garden parties, there is the endless tedium of being the state ambassador. The Queen. God bless her. I have an awful lot of respect for the Queen. Actually, Anne, of the following generation, Charles is a drooling idiot. Really? I've met him. I met him when I was working in green chemistry, which is something he's supposed to be passionately interested in, and he could barely string two words together. I think I've got quite a bit of time for Charles. Edward and Andrew less so. Anne I don't really know anything about. Anne has always come across as the most intelligent and capable of the lot, and sidelined because she's a woman and bitter about it. And Edward was always kind of kind of seen as... The closet gay. No, more the baby of the lot and never going to be in the running, so allowed a little bit more latitude to be artistic. We'll give you Wessex. So anyway, um, Je Sans Frontières. Je Sans Frontières. It's a knockout. They don't all exist. I would love to see them again, because they were so much fun. <laughs> So anyway, having uh, in a very roundabout way rescued two programmes from the archives, it is time for... And committed treason on my part. I've not exactly covered myself in glory either. I don't think the knighthood will be coming my way anytime soon for services to podcasting. (laughs) It seems that we have a contender for the new Prime Minister, who is... Alan Bastard. We are going to start off by watching the first episode of The New Statesman. Now, I remember this at the time. I loved it. Absolutely loved it. Rick Mail, I think, is hilarious. I know you're not wildly keen on it's the more the slapstick, slapstick thing, yeah. 
There is some slapstick in the New Statesman, but nowhere near as much as in the Lightbottom and Filthy Richard That's Kaplan. all right. right. He is just 80s Tory, amoral <laughs> asshole. He's a Conservative MP who is interested in one thing and one thing only, and that's him and how much money he can screw out of things. He has an, I think her name's Sarah, an equally amoral and unpleasant wife, and a comedy stooge who's another Conservative MP called Piers Fletcher Dervish, I think, played by Michael Troughton. And there's a few other regulars drift in and out. But we'll start off with the pilot, which was from 87, I think. 13th of September, 1987, this was. I must admit, I'm quite looking forward to it, because um, Simon keeps me gainfully supplied with DVDs. There's something new lands on the doormat every single day. And this box set fell through the door yesterday, actually. It's beautifully presented, and I'm actually quite intrigued. Because I remember all the hoo-ha at the time when it was actually on. I was just too young to really be interested in it. We're going to do a couple of... European-themed sitcoms. This is a more political one. And then we're going to come on to another European international-themed one that has a revised modern reputation. But we'll do that after the, after the New Statesman. Let us run VT on the first episode of... The New Statesman. Oh, I've not got the remote control. Spaff, could you do the honours, please? Evening, Chief Constable. Ah, bastard, here's to you. What do you think of this? Oh, it's a Colt 45 Frontiersman. Yeah. Blow the balls off one of them flying pickets at 50 yards. Eh? <laughs> <laughs> oh, yes, isn't it pretty? Shall we put it back in this little house now? <laughs> Bye-bye. Listen, you promised me that I could have that dossier the moment... Oh, you, you mean the dossier that proves you were responsible for that tragic car crash on the eve of the general election? <laughs> Perhaps if I built you a church. The Lord of Hosts doesn't need any more churches. He needs you to work for him in Parliament. For example, how about a bill to criminalise atheism? Yes, but you've both got to realise that the chances against a backbencher getting a bill through Parliament are a thousand to one. I, I was very, very lucky last time to do so well in the ballot for private members' bills. Thinks it was luck. <laughs> <laughs> you mean it, it was a miracle? Have a pork scratching, says the Lord. <laughs> that was the first episode of The New Statesman. What did you think? I actually enjoyed that a lot more than I expected. I'm not a huge fan of Rick Mayall. I've always found him massively over the top in anything he was in. The slapstick element of things never really appealed. That was really good. He was like a, a much toned down version of himself playing a, an amoral character. And it really worked. I really want to see more of those. It gets a bit more fantastical as it gets into... Uh, I think it ran for four seasons. Four series, yeah, a couple um, of And he gets deselected and then ends up as an MEP in the final season. Which, depending how long this whole Brexit nonsense hangs on for, we might end up doing sometime in about 2030 or something. Let's not pretend that we can see the light at the end of the tunnel just yet. It is only November 2019 for future historians. <laughs> when Brexit still hasn't happened. About eight generations down the line waiting for it. I always like the New Statesman. I, of the two of us, you're much more interested in, mm. in, in politics yeah. I'm much more the young ones, filthy rich and cat flap, slapstick style of thing. But I also appreciate his 
utter gittishness in this. I wish he'd done more stuff like this because he's clearly a very good actor when he's not just given stuff where it's hitting people with frying pans and pratfalls and things. And actually that got worse after his own head injury. With this... I Well, I will be watching more of it. I've got the complete series now. Thank you very much. But halfway through, the fictional pub was called The Hangman's Not Inn. <laughs> there were some really nice contemporary touches like that because they... Um, I can't remember the name of the landlord. He's played by Peter Salas. He's based on Pierpoint. Yes. And you give me an interesting anecdote halfway through. Who lived in Richton for a time at One Tottleworth Road. This is where we record the Extremos experiment. Pierpoint was the country's last hangman, and after he, after we stopped hanging people, he retired and ran a pub. And the, the character in this is based on Pierpoint. And as the series goes on, Alan Bastard becomes one of his regulars, and he pushes for capital punishment to come back so he can go back to his own old job. But the personal connection is that my granddad was a uh, an accountant in Preston, and he was Pierpoint's accountant. And apparently the only autograph, proper autograph that Pierpoint signed in his life, because he was very anti-publicity, was signed for my mum when she was a kid. And apparently I wrecked it when I, when I was a kid. I chucked orange juice over it or something. I mean, you can get examples of yes. Pierpoint's signature, but I believe they're from the ends of letters and things. He, he never actually did autographs. But he did me mum on autograph and I destroyed it. You must be very proud. Of many things. But yeah, the pilot episode of the News it basically revolves around this corrupt Conservative MP rigging an election by killing his other two opponents, cutting the brake pipes on their cars while they're out campaigning. And then he, oh, he's blackmailed by the police the officer at the count. Yeah, we're not going to arrest you, but we do want certain bills to be passed. And one of them is to arm police officers with guns, which um, ends up... Coming back to bite him. Yes. And that's basically the very short premise of the episode. And it, it's introduced... A lot of the characters introduces... Alan Bastard introduces his wife. They're civil to each other, but they obviously don't like each other very much. She's having a lesbian relationship. One of his fellow MPs, who is a bit of a... A mole and also a bit bent. Starts off as a man, but he's so bent. I know he's not a, an MP. That's, Is he not? No, that's Alan's financial advisor. Oh, right. But again, so bent that he decides that... Oh, yeah, it needs to escape, so it has planned to transition. That, <laughs> that bit I don't think you could get away with in this day and age. Really? Yeah, and rightfully so. Oh, not rightfully so. I've not, right, let's, let's pause it. I can't remember who it was that said... There shouldn't be anything off limits for comedy. The Simpsons is Hitler. A, Heil, honey, I'm home. No, I was just thinking, was it Hitler who said that? It was not Hitler that said that, no. I don't think Hitler was known for his stand-up comedy routines. I'm willing to be corrected. But where do you draw the line? Who do you not take the piss out of? The Simpsons recently, they've had a big thing about Apu being the stereotypical convenience store owner, being Pakistani or Indian, and being voiced by somebody who's white. Bear in mind, this is now 30 years down the line, near as damn it. If you look at The Simpsons as a whole, every single character in that is a stereotype. They're all having the piss ripped very liberally out of them, be it the... The swatty schoolgirl, the fat donut-eating police officer, the rapacious businessman, or the dumb-as-fuck blue-collar worker. 
you can't exclude somebody because they suddenly decide they're part of a minority and we've got to be off limits from comedy. Right, okay. Um, so, transgendered people do not decide to be transgendered. It is an inherent part of their nature. And we were talking about TERFs over dinner and we were saying that you'd had a very brief... Twitter spat. That gives you an impression of the sort of thing these people have to deal with on a daily basis. Mm. Now, once it is a fully accepted and fully integrated aspect of society, which it isn't at the moment, then, yeah, you can start making the argument that it's a legitimate target for comedy. However, the amount of abuse, the amount of difficulty that the transgendered community have, I think they need a degree of safe spacing. And it's a bit like saying in the 1960s it was fine to make racial comedy. Um, I don't think, and I'm yet to have an example of this, because it's always trotted about Alf Garner and uh, Love Thy Neighbour and this and the other. If you look at those programmes in context, and we haven't watched anything yet that is overtly racist where the people that are being called, and it's generally, uh, in, for that period, it's generally black people. They always come off better because it's well. The- I mean, there is a, a very big difference between Alf Garnet and Love Thy Neighbor. In Love Thy Neighbor, it was Sid James being. It was Sid James, wasn't it? In Love, I don't know. I can't. It's that long ago. I can't remember. Okay, anyway, it was the white bloke being a bigoted get. Yeah, to his death. So he to came his off death worse. However, Alf Garnet just came out with horrifically racist and sexist and every ist you can think of and never really had any comeback from it and if you look at Johnny Spate's stuff you have said this before and there is the argument oh it's not inherent in the writing it is writing a character but every single thing that he wrote had characters that were fairly objectionable and there gets to be a point where either he had so little imagination that was the only thing that he could write, or that's actually what he thought. It's probably worth revisiting, because bear in mind, I've not seen either of those since they were first on. And I, even then, in why, the 80s... Why don't we at some point do curry and chips? Because that's about him at his worst. We'll schedule this in for a future I, podcast. I, but, I, but I hate to bring it up. The Corridor People, the fourth episode. Mm-hmm. Was mm-hmm. 25 years before this... Same period that we're talking about here. I don't know. I've not seen anything yet that is meaningfully offensive to any group, race, creed, colour, deliberately paints them in such a bad light. I mean, even things like It Ain't Off Hot Mum. They'd rip it to bits if that was repeated. But you watch it and it's not done in a, a hateful way. It just happens to have what would now be considered to be blackface in it. The thing is, we can sit here as white middle-aged blokes and... It's not down to us to dictate to minorities what they find offensive. No, but then again, it's perfectly acceptable. And I've mentioned this before. Historical offence does not mean suddenly that it's fair game to turn the tables. And what we've got at the moment is this gammon thing. Now, you and I, probably more me than you, as there's a little bit more of me pro rata than you, gammon. You know, white, middle-aged men that look like a joint of ham. That's fine for somebody to call me gammon, but I can't say anything against anybody else. Ah, yes, but you white, middle-aged men, you've had your own way for hundreds of years. About time you had a dose of your own medicine. It doesn't swing for me. You can't, you just cannot behave that way. 
No, I disagree with you. I'm not disagreeing with you because you're trans or because you're Asian or this, that, and that. I, I, I'm not. I'm probably disagreeing with you more because you're being a bit of an arse. Not because they've got a particular persuasion or... It's never about that, ever, ever, ever with me. No, but with some people it is. With some humour it is. The character of Norman who becomes Norma, that's very clearly where the comedy is based. And I don't think that would be acceptable these days. And I think it's perfectly reasonable for that not to be acceptable these days. And on, the subject on, of things that aren't acceptable these days, shall we go on to our next sitcom? Which is... We're going to watch the first episode of Mind Your Language. <laughs> I've not seen these before. This is from the same stable of sitcoms as, in my head, Love Thy Neighbour. Yeah, it's sort of early to mid-70s, not politically correct. It's about an evening class learning English as a foreign language. Absolutely ram-jam full of racial stereotypes. Did you really have to use that as an example? What? Ram-jam full. <laughs> oh my good grief. That was a comedy Indian name when I was growing up. Really? Yes. Welcome to Lancashire. I've used that as an expression my entire life. I've never known where it came from. <laughs> It was my granddad. It was my granddad used to use that, and she came from Preston. I never knew where it came from. I think we need more gin. Squeeze me, please, lady. Yes, what is it? I'm coming here for to be learning the English. Your Alice. Oh no, I'm Ali. I beg your pardon. My name is Ali. Ali Nadim. I'm coming here for to be learning the English. Ah yes, yes. You wish to join our new class, English. As a foreign language. Yes, please. And I'm hopping to be unrolled. <laughs> hopping to be unrolled? Like it say in your syllabus. <laughs> you mean hoping to be enrolled. That is what I said. Hoping to be unrolled. <laughs> yes, well, I'm afraid you cannot be unrolled. Uh, enrolled until the English teacher arrives. Now, she should be here in a few minutes. In the meanwhile, perhaps you would care to wait in the classroom. Go down the corridor, turn left at the bottom, and wait in room five. Understand? No. <laughs> All right, that was the first episode of Mind Your Language from 1971, I think. Oh, I beg your pardon, 77. I remember watching this with my gran and thinking it was quite good, but then at the time I thought, it ain't half hot mum, and things like that were quite good. It hasn't aged well. <laughs> I'm looking at it through 21st century eyes, having never seen a one. I'm fairly open-minded about things. The first line plays on racial stereotypes. There's a Pakistani chap walks into the headmistress's office. From the first line, you sort of cringe and think, yeah. yeah, you'd never do that now. It is all racial stereotyping. My first thought, actually, is not, this is a bit cringeworthy. It's, how on earth did they make this run for, is it three series, four series? Two, I thought. Uh, no, three series. I think there were actually complaints about it at the time in terms of not being particularly racially sensitive. I'm looking at it for what it is. It just plays on stereotypes, and I am well on record now by this point. Every bit of successful comedy that there's been, it's all played on stereotypes. 
when you start bringing race into it, all of a sudden that's offensive. The vast majority of this, bear in mind I'm looking at it through fresh eyes, never seen it before, the vast majority of it actually is fairly sympathetic to not being racist. The whole theme throughout this is, let's all get along, please. And when there are bits of racism in there, it's always between two countries, religions, creeds. There's not much of it. Do you not think the teacher and the, particularly the supervisor, so the, the principal? Uh, Miss Courtney. Who I <coughs> always remembered as being Joan Sanderson. I, I have to say, even now, having just watched it in my head, Joan Sanderson. Yeah. Um, and it's not, it's nothing of the kind. It's exactly of the that's kind. That's her character, yeah. yeah but it, it's not actually her. But the whole thing is uh, we're superior. Oh, do you think? Yeah. She is we're superior, but listen to her halfway through, in fact, not even halfway through, a few minutes in, it's I'm superior and women are superior. Ah, you're the new language teacher. A man. Oh, well. You don't have as much stamina as us women. So I'm... T- and he is perfectly sympathetic towards all the different nationalities that walk through his door. He Could is. He- he's sympathetic, but he comes across as sympathetic but feeling superior. But he's a teacher. Part of that is being... Yeah. Down, is down to him being a teacher. He's there to teach them what he knows. Of course there's going to be that sort of I am preaching to you thing. Yeah. I get. I, I don't mind that. There's a lot of racial stereotyping so the the Chinese student every time you see her she's holding up the red book um, the Japanese student has a camera, camera sort of almost super glued around his neck the Greek and Italian students are falling over each other to ingratiate themselves with the pretty French girl the French girl is making best use of her assets putting it mildly yes um, clearly consciously doing that the German student is consistent on German efficiency. It's of its time. Playing on stereotypes. But if you look through all of those, yeah, you've just picked through all the things there that the nationalities are characterised by. They're characterised for fairly reasonable reasons because that is... Look at London. Armies of Japanese and Chinese tourists armed with cameras because that's what they do. But that's what we do abroad as well. We, yeah, that's true. I mean, they're the, the tourists. And I was going to say, if you compare this to something even just a few years later, well, actually, stuff that was going on at the time, this against Faulty Towers. Well, yeah, arguably, with things like the Germans, Faulty Towers was far more racist. What was it, though? I, I don't know. I don't... Oh, that whole you invaded Poland silly walk thing. Well, yeah, but again, which direction is the racism really going in there? It is laughing at Basil Faulty for being the racist, but it doesn't alter the fact that the conversation is racist in and of itself. I, I don't... I, I honestly do not get this at all. It's a thing. It is a thing. English and the Germans were always going to have... The wars, 1966. They just, neither side can really let it go. And in the 70s, it was... Recent. 30 years. Yeah. Easily within living memory. And this would have been only a few years after joining the... The European Union, 1973, would have a referendum. The EU is... The EEC, as it was then. But... EU was 93, wasn't it? uh, Sort of Maastricht time, yeah, 1992, 93. 
I think 1st of November 93, so isn't it exactly however many years ago today? Yes, it is. 26 years. So over a quarter of a century. I've just got a problem with people finding a problem with racism. The largest amount of racism, as is perceived, is stereotypes. We've covered this, or I've covered this before. I do not believe that stereotypes are inherently racist because we do it with white people in very, very unequal measure. You look at a lot of the comedy characters on telly. They're taking the piss out of white people because they're stereotypes. And just because somebody's a different nationality or colour or creed, it doesn't mean that they're not a stereotype and they're any less available for comedy because they just happen to have a different skin colour or they're from a different country. That is their stereotype. You look around the world. I, I collect nicknames for the English from around the world. My favourite is still the German one, Island Monkeys. I think that's fantastic. I've always loved the black American word for white, honkies. I think it's a great term. And you follow the etymology back to why. It, I don't find that offensive at all. Yeah. Apparently now in America, that's a seriously offensive word. I don't find it offensive. I find it funny. I think it all depends on how strung up you are on being stereotyped. The only thing that I find vaguely offensive is the stupid gammon thing. I think you just, that is purely, it's not based on your views, your, your accent, your characteristics. It is purely based on how you look. The, the whole gammon thing that comes from that mottled skin that overweight white middle-aged men have. That is the very thing we have striven for years to eradicate. You know, don't prejudice against somebody for the way they look. Everything for the past 30, 40 years has been hmm. stop this stupid, I don't like you because you're skin colour. I don't like you because you're disabled and that and the other. Well, I, don't, sudden, I don't think that that's stupid, but... You, but it is stupid to prejudice against somebody for how they look. It is. But all of a sudden, because it's against middle-aged white English people, males, that's fine. Because you've been getting away with it for so long. You're fair game now. It's just equality by its very nature has got to be a two-way street. You can't say, ah, yes, your turn now, cock. You just can't do it. As I said before, I am yet to see. All right, there are elements of this that are... Not entirely, they wouldn't translate well in repeats. But I, there's nothing about it that's overtly, these people are there to be ridiculed. Equally, there's nothing really about it that was overtly funny. Oh, there are a couple of bits where we chuckled, both of us. Were there? Yeah, there were. Which bits? I can't remember specifically, but we may have been chuckling ironically. Mm. For half an hour of telly, there weren't very many. No, but to be fair, I, there's not a lot that makes me laugh out loud. Well, the New Statesman did. New Statesman did. did. Yeah. I surprised myself with that. And to be perfectly honest, when I went into this, and these, these are both programmes that I've suggested, I've seen them both before, you've not seen mm. either of them. And that was exactly the reaction I expected. I expected you to find the New Statesman very funny. <laughs> and this, a product of its time. <laughs> a product of its time. With much of the stuff that we watch, you must view it as a product of yeah. its time. You cannot view it through. The very worst example I can give is Dan Busters, the dog. Oh, oh, oh. No, yeah. no, 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 no. It yes. makes you, it yeah, makes I, you I, shudder. I know, I know exactly what you mean. It I'm... makes you shudder, but that was 
I'm from a dock working family. My dad's side were all dock workers. It was very common for black dogs to be called that. Yeah. That was the time. And we move it, on. And it was a word that my grandparents used to use without any problem at all. It made my parents uncomfortable. It made me uncomfortable. It was of its time. Mm. But you can't sanitise. And I say this to uh, dear listeners, you cannot sanitise 70s television by modern standards. And I don't think that kind of historical revision is helpful. I mean, we're talking about a crappy sitcom that probably wasn't massively funny at the time. Three series of this? How? I can't imagine how they sustained it for three series. It must have been dire by the end. We could do the final episode. (laughs) We'll do that (laughs) another time. For the next Brexit episode, we'll do it for that. Got the box set, the way Brexit is going, then we'll work through the entire lot. We're only Um, 41 and 51 at the moment. We've got a long way to go. I'm not 51, you cheeky. Ah, I think we're worse by better. Shall we move? How rude. (laughs) What? Hell, (laughs) what have we got next? What we've got next is another fucking gin. Quite right, too. In the Player is one of my choices. Now, I have spent, well, I did spend eight years on my local council in Accrington. Very interested in politics, took an active interest. It's never really left me. I take an active interest in what's going on. A lot of it is bollocks. And I am ashamed by the behaviour of a lot of our politicians. But one of the ones that I found very interesting over the years was Alan Clark. Now, I read a lot of political autobiographies. I find them very interesting. It's a good indicator of politics at the time. The Alan Clark Diaries, all three volumes, were all incredibly interesting accounts of the 70s through to the 90s from somebody who didn't pull his punches on himself. He was very honest about himself. I love the books. There was a six-part adaptation with John Hurt on BBC Four about ten years ago. I thought it would be a good thing to introduce Simon to it. So, without further ado, Ron V.T. He's been raiding the moat, starting in the early hours, then getting bolder and bolder, taking eight or nine fish every day. He was just opposite the steps, took off clumsily, and I fired. I reloaded, went round to the opposite bank. Tom beat me to it and gamely made at him. Out of the way, Tom! I did not want to mutilate that beautiful head, so drew a bead on his shoulder. The execution. Sodding fish. Why should I kill this beautiful creature just for the sodding fish? I was near a nervous breakdown. Yet if it had been a burglar or a vandal, I wouldn't have given a toss. It's human beings that are the vermin. Okay, we've just sat through all six episodes of the Alan Clark Diaries with John Hurt, Jenny Agatha, and assorted others. I loved it. From the look on your face, you did not love it. Sat through is the operative expression. That bored the arse off me, frankly. I'm really surprised. John Hurt put in a fantastic performance, but John Hurt could have stood in the corner, done nothing but blow raspberries, and it would have been (laughs) a fantastic seminal performance of somebody standing in the corner blowing raspberries. He was just a, a superb actor. That was a great performance from him. Other than that, 
it was him, Jenny Agata, who was appallingly underused. She was very much background and an actress of her status and stature and ability should have better than that. And it was fairly close to her time on Spooks, which is a much better portrayal of her (coughs) abilities as an actor. Other than that, I don't find politics per se interesting. I take note of it because of the effect that it has on the country. And at the moment with Brexit, then it is kind of the only subject that there is. Unfortunately, yes. Yeah. And whichever side of the coin you're on, for fuck's sake, just get it over with. Yes, I agree. I'm not at the point where I'm ground down enough to say, for fuck's sake, get it over with and just do whatever. But you have to assume that that's the intention. But we're not actually going into the politics. No, not, not the politics. Um, they, it was the Alan Clark Diaries. For those three who, volumes, for fuck's sake. He wrote a diary pretty much every day. But Michael Palin did, and, and Michael Palin's diaries. I've not read his uh, I, I Actually, volume. Kenneth Williams and the Kenneth Williams diaries are entertaining. Uh, they're entertaining in bits, but again, all diaries are entertaining in bits. Kenneth Williams' diaries, they focused on... I seem to remember a lot of problems with these, what do you call these, bumhole, and being terribly lonely. Yeah. But you've got to pick through all that. But the Kenneth William Diary, I haven't read the Alan Clark Diaries. Clearly life, not your thing, life clearly not. really is way too short for that. But having read some of the Kenneth William Diaries, what it needed was an editor. Um, well, yes, but again, you're spot on there, because you'll notice with the Alan Clark Diaries, the series, it focused on the second and... Bits of the third. The second volume of Alan Clark's diaries are the interesting bit. It covers the Margaret Thatcher years, which are a very interesting, whether you agree with the politics or not, a very interesting period in British politics. You get to his third volume, and there's a lot of it where he's not in Parliament at all. It's extramarital affairs and being ill and dying. And it's actually quite tedious. Ah, whereas, you see, the thing that I would have found interesting is more detail on the brain tumour and how that affected him. But that's the thing that I'm interested in. You're waiting. I'm I'm interested in medicine and illness, and I'm interested enough to have gone to medical school for six years and done extra qualifications in it. That's the sort of thing that would have grabbed my attention. But it wasn't what the TV series was about. The ins and outs of politics and what was happening in Parliament. I don't actually find that particularly interesting. And I think that dramatisations of what goes on in Parliament has been done better in things like House of Cards. But to be fair, House of Cards is fictional and the Alan Clark Diaries was factual. You see, we're coming at it from different, again, different sides of the coin. I've been in politics it's at a fairly high level locally and... I found that really interesting because Parliament is way above a local level. They're, mm. they're just incomparable. But the actual mechanics of the cabinet at a local level and the backbench at look, it's exactly the same. Yeah. So you're two completely different spectrum. But whatever happens in Parliament is exactly the same as what's going on at your local council, just at a different level. But if you're not interested in politics, that would have bored the arse off you. And I'm sorry to sort of take you through six half hours. It's all right. You sat through the corridor people. On balance, you got off lightly. The corridor people was bonkers mental. I felt like I was taking acid. I've never taken acid in my life. That is what I imagine acid to be like. 
Go that on. is kind of what I imagine a large dose of Valium to be like. Again, whatever turns you on. You'll notice <laughs> I'm apologetic for making you sit through that. You are delighted that I sat through the corridor, people. I'm clearly expanding your horizons. Oh. Now, I can recognise how well done a piece of television it was. I can recognise the value and interest for people who have interest in that. In, that yeah. in the same way as I can recognise that things like casualty have a significant amount of expert advice put into it. Yeah. And that these days, the medical concepts are quite good. It's nothing like what an actual casualty department is like, because an actual casualty department is predominantly people coming in with bad chest infections and saucepans dropped on their foot and scalded fingers and a load of... There's another accidents uh, nor emergencies. Absolutely. When I worked in A&E, there were a lot of things that I saw that were neither accidents nor emergencies, none of them things that would make interesting telly. So for all the this is what could happen is absolutely correct for casualty. You would never expect it on a week-by-week basis. But that's dramatic license. Even the the ones that are 24 hours in A&E is however many weeks worth contracted down to. Mm. No, it wasn't for you. That's fine. I'm, I'm not trying because it really wasn't for me. And in terms of political drama, I would much prefer to watch something like House of Cards for all that it's something fictional. From the point of view of somebody who really enjoys political biography and autobiography, that was wonderful. Uh, yeah, I mean, John, that's the other thing. You enjoy autobiography I, I an do. awful lot more than I do. Yeah, so I can fully understand why that would not appeal to somebody who has no interest in politics. John Hurt doesn't do a very good impression of Alan Clark, but to be fair, I don't think he's even attempting it. I think he's just... The only thing he attempts is Alan Clark's walk, which is quite a, a sort of a, a sachet with swinging arms. And he does attempt to get that. But the vocal mannerisms he doesn't bother with. He's just John Hurt. Mm. And to be honest, I think it's better for it. They skip out a lot of the boring chaff and just screw down to the... Because apparently these are enormous volumes. Yeah. And they've condensed it into six episodes. Whoever's adapted this, and I can't remember, it will have been set on screen, did a great job of condensing those books into the best bits. And actually, the most interesting characters, apart from Alan Clark, are very, very much sidelined. Yeah, they are. So, Jenny Agatha's character is pretty incidental. Margaret Thatcher, who is, whatever you think of her, is the most interesting person in politics at that time. All you see is the back of her head. The rest of the politicians are interchangeable grey men. Ah, uh, but uh, the Which Margaret is exactly Thatcher, what Margaret. Margaret it it is, and they were yeah. all. It's only spitting image that gave them personalities. But the Margaret Thatcher character, I think throughout that, the books, she's always referred to as the lady, and whatever you think of her, she is always portrayed as this very powerful figure in a way that no prime minister since has been viewed in. All the men after Margaret Thatcher, none of them were viewed with the same gravitas, with the same weight of power that Margaret Thatcher was. And I think filming her without her face, with from the back of her head, just a twitching ankle here and there, I think that conveys far more weight to a Prime Minister than showing her on camera. 
Oh, I agree. I think that bit of it worked mm. because Alan Clark was never... A, he may have been entertaining, but he was never a first-run. No. And so it's perfectly reasonable for him to be interacting with the back of her head or at the side saying, can I get you anything? Oh, no. I don't think that was badly done. It was how uninteresting and interchangeable all of the secondary characters were. I apologise for putting you through that because... I really enjoyed it. You clearly didn't. And for anybody who's interested in politics, The Alan Clark Diaries, it's very, very cheaply available on Amazon. You will love it. If anybody's read the books, you will love it. For anybody that hasn't and isn't, it's not for you. That's probably about the quickest review I can give. That seems fair. It's well-made television, but equally, there's some very well-made Second World War documentaries that I have no interest in. It doesn't stop them being well-made. Uh, this is for a separate podcast. We were meant to do in this Revenge of Brexit special, House of Cards. I vetoed Brilliant this because piece of television. it came through my door and I watched the first couple of episodes and I immediately messaged Simon and said, the whole trilogy, not the American version, the UK version, is worth an episode on its own. So at some point in the future, we'll do this and do it justice. Because At this point, you've only seen. I've only seen. You've a only seen of half of the first series. I mean, the first series is only four episodes, so you you have yeah. seen half of it. I agree completely. It, it is a wonderful yeah. piece of television. Francis Urquhart is just a fantastic character. Correct. He's yeah. above Sir Humphrey. Fucking hell! Oh yes, that's. No, you hadn't mentioned that before. Jesus, yeah. that's the level of greatness we're going to. Um, it, I mean, I I agree with you completely. Mm. I just didn't expect to hear that from you. That's why the fucking hell. Because <laughs> obviously I'm demure and don't swear that often. <laughs> but we are days away from a general election. We would like to hope there will not be a Brexit Strikes Back episode, but I can't promise it. I've no fucking clue what's going on. All I can say is that both of us sat here on very different sides of the Brexit coin. Christ and about just... Fucking get on with it. Get it over with. Stop it. It's dirty. And with that, good luck voting, boys and girls. We will see you on the other side. Bye now. The Exton Moss Experiment featured Simon Exton and Ken Moss. All featured soundtracks are the property of their respective producers and no infringement of copyright is intended. Title music was performed by the BBC Symphony Orchestra and the programme was produced by Maverick Productions. For more information, please visit maverickproductionsuk.blogspot.com or find us on social media.